Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Summary Discussion of Part 4, Interpreting Enoch's Allegorical Prophecies. It does not take a lot of effort to decipher Enoch's allegorical dream visions with precise correlation to Semitic history appearing in the Old Testament. The notations appearing in the 1883 edition were very helpful, but they were incomplete. There was more to the 1883 edition of Lawrence's translation that made it the most reasonable choice for using it as the source document and its clearly legal availability to be used in his poetry. The unknown editor was also quite right about some of his attempted interpretations that appear in footnotes throughout his edition. The beginning of this sequence is pretty easy to follow, with the story being about events already known from details presented in the main conflict of this epic story. The one important difference in these visions that distinguishes this content from the tale Moses tells in Genesis is the concept of how the crossbreeding of extraterrestrial beings and human beings resulted in horde mutations. Truly, the worst of all crimes against humanity was the alien interference in mankind's evolution, the first and unauthorized CE6 event on Earth. The solution for this problem was for God to send his true sons, the Elohim, to take all of those criminals into custody and wipe out their offspring with the catastrophic flood a second CE6 event in human history. God also knew that the flood would only delay the inevitable decline of humanity into its current state of corruption, when mankind will annihilate itself in an apocalyptic nuclear war, because the third CE6 event of Messianic prophet, Jesus Christ, does not have the results God intended. Instead of repenting in the hopes of having everlasting life and evolving to be peaceful, Mankind has evolved to be hateful, murderous, and blasphemous, for which there is no further corrective action possible. Deliverance of the eternal truth message prior to Judgment Day will be the fourth and last CE6 event in the history of mankind, but it will not have the purpose to prevent the inevitable. The message of the eternal truth will serve to alert the faithful and guide them to God by preparing them for the rapture of Judgment Day. But the wrath of God on all of humanity will have become the only destiny for mankind which will be a fiery apocalyptic end in global thermonuclear war. To explain it all more completely, an alternative perspective on the cause for the second CE6 event is that these transgressing aliens were not actually the sons of God or holy ones. These errant extraterrestrials may not have been the same as Elohim, and they may not have been sons of Eloi. This matter has already been postulated in previous discussions within this document, but it deserves some additional attention. These ancient aliens may have actually been a rogue species of extraterrestrials who evolved to have the capability of intergalactic travel, and they traveled to Earth thinking they had become gods. If they were a species that evolved with the blessing of Almighty God, then they had the requirement to agree with the Creator of the universe not to interfere with the evolution of other species elsewhere in the universe. The point of Enoch's allegory that said this non-human spacefaring species acted as if they were horses and their offspring were camels, elephants, and asses was really all about how they were never the same as humans. There is a similarity between cows and horses, but they are clearly not the same species nor genetically compatible. Mating between two different humanoid bipedal species resulted in a horde mutation, and the same result is likely for cows and horses. Enoch includes himself and Noah in this allegory because they are the white cows selected to know what has happened. The foretelling of Noah's birth as an albino appears first in the allegory of him as a white cow, and the significance of this prediction will become more apparent in part five of the epic narrative. The building of the ark, the great deluge, and the dividing of the survivors into three tribes all correlate to the story Moses tells in Genesis. So this proves Moses had a source of information originating from Enoch. The allegory continues to be accurate with correlations to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Moses, David, Solomon, and Samuel, this poem also presents a prediction of Elijah the Tishbite. In this retelling, the allegorical descriptions transition to actual names for the benefit of the reader who might not otherwise understand any of the story if it were maintained according to the translation in the 1883 edition. There is one curious jump through time that appears in this retelling, which skips over a great deal of historical information after the time of Solomon. In fact, the jump takes the story to the 20th century and World War II, when Adolf Hitler persecutes the Jewish people. This event had not yet happened when Lawrence translated the Ethiopic manuscript, so the supporting text for this interpretation remains unaltered in the 1883 edition. This prophecy is extremely important and relevantly proves this entire part of the text, which comprises part four, was not simply created much later in time by some unknown scribe pretending to be Enoch. There might have been some argument among agnostics and biblical scholars that this part of the book of Enoch the prophet had been written after the Semitic history events appearing in the allegory had already occurred. Denying the prophetic nature of the original text enabled theories that identified the originating time for this text was just prior to the advent of Jesus Christ or as much as 100 years afterwards. There is no validation of a theoretical argument claiming the Enoch story originated around 100 AD. There is a clear prediction of future events with the Jews being numbered, which did not happen until World War II when the fascist Nazis tattooed numbers on the arms of Jews between 1935 and 1945. None of the English translation of the Ethiopic text is as specific as it appears in this poetic retelling. However, the poetry has the purpose of interpreting the ancient story by providing a modern understanding of what it all means. Enoch prophesied the numbering of the Jews. It may be important for the reader to note that the leader and nation that persecuted the Jews ultimately failed in a bid to rule the rule because God enabled other nations to defend his chosen people. History will repeat itself, but in an unexpected turn of events. The poetry reveals the various antediluvian revelations appearing within the ancient writing, and it also disproves any theory that this section of the ancient text was created after the fact to appear as though it were a prophecy. All of the text in the book of Enoch the prophet is prophecy about the Semitic people written before the time of Noah to include parts Noah contributed to the book when he writes about his own CE4 event, which corroborates Enoch's testimonial about transfiguration. This claim about Noah's contribution to the text of his great-grandfather's prophetic writings follows along with other scholarly proposed theories that this did happen. It might not have been Noah's intent to curse the book of his great-grandfather by adding to it, but it had the effect of making some of the text a little confusing. It is not too difficult to infer from the curiously non-sequential text that Noah had the task of maintaining his great-grandfather's writings for future generations, the same as Methuselah and Lamech, and he might have considered his contribution to the work something meaningful to do while he waited for the floodwaters to recede and temperatures to rise enough to enable disembarkation from the massive ship that served as a rescue vehicle during the flood and a domicile afterward. Enoch's Prophecies Validated Enoch's dream visions were prophecies, and these prophecies were not created later in history to fake it as though they originated before the flood. Enoch told these tales to Methuselah before Noah was born. There is historical precedent that such stories were memorized as poetry and told to generations over a long period of time. Additionally, Enoch prophesied in allegories because he could not prophesy the distant future with specificity. However, the reasonable correlations made in this retelling show that he did actually prophesy with specificity. The interpretations of these allegories also prove that they originated a long time before 100 AD. Other than the brief segment, which appears in this poetry as Noah's testimony of being abducted by extraterrestrials, the stories Enoch told his son, Methuselah, originated in the lifetime of Methuselah. They were not fabricated later in time to create a fake prophetic document. 
Enoch was a true prophet of God Almighty, and his words will come true. Most of his prophecies have already happened. An additionally significant prediction within this prophecy is that it says there will be three separate religions in Jerusalem, symbolized as three shepherds in white. Today there are three religions represented in Jerusalem as it remains the holiest of holy places in the entire world. Two possible paths for the future of humanity appear within this prophecy as it continues in this part of the story. One outcome is that there will be a war that will cause the apocalypse and the end of the earth when these three religions refuse to come to an agreement for peace and acceptance of each other through the eternal truth of God Almighty. The leaders of these religions choose to make war and kill each other rather than resolve their differences and bring an everlasting peace to the planet. The pridefulness of men who choose to reject Jesus Christ when he returns as Gabriel to bring heaven and earth together for the glory of God under one understanding of God Almighty will be the catalyst that causes global thermonuclear genocide and God will destroy all life on planet earth in an inextinguishable fire. The only prevention for this occurrence is for these men to have humility, but they never will. There will not be an eighth era for mankind. The other possible outcome is that these three separated religions will finally come together with the arrival in Jerusalem of Jesus Christ, who proclaims and validates the eternal truth. Jesus Christ will complete the final angel path by having Gabriel's power to bring together heaven and earth for an untold number of eras of peace and prosperity. The mentioning of an eighth era is relevant where it appears in the sequence within this poetic retelling of the story because the eighth era of mankind is only a possibility of peaceful coexistence with an advanced species of extraterrestrials known as Elohim. The eighth era does not happen because mankind's evolution resulted in an inability to peacefully coexist with other species in the universe, and the cause of this has been the continued interference from an oppositional species of extraterrestrials who are clearly not the Elohim. Another version of the prophecy about the end of mankind appears in the New Testament, Revelations chapter 14, which says one like the Son of Man appears in the clouds with a message of the eternal truth. This event is the prediction of a CE5 event followed by the apocalypse. In this case, the CE5 event is a communication between humanity and the extraterrestrials known as Elohim. The interpretation of Enoch's prophecy in poetic format and the enhanced prophetic material that presents the sevenfold doctrine of the eternal truth are both part of that communication. It should not be a surprise to anyone that such a communication has become necessary, and it is reasonable that there should be one source for this information. The source of the eternal truth is most definitely not the Holy Bible, Jewish or Christian version, the Quran, or even the Book of Mormon. The source of the eternal message is the Holy Spirit. It might seem to the reader from all of this discussion that humanity is an unknowing participant in an intergalactic conflict between two opposing forces of extraterrestrials, but that sort of thing only happens in the movies. Reality is far more complex than anything George Lucas could have imagined. Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind is an imaginative, cinematic portrayal of how a series of CE5 events evolved into a CE3 event that is really more to the tune of a CE6 event by the end of the motion picture. It might be a little known fact that Spielberg and Heineck collaborated to portray the CE6 event without really understanding that the movie script went beyond a simple CE3 event with the climactic portrayal of a CE6 event. In Spielberg's version of the occurrence, humanity successfully makes peace with the Elohim on Judgment Day. Everyone is happy afterwards, and mankind has an enlightened future. Of course, that story is fiction, because that is not what is going to happen. According to Revelation chapter 11, the witnesses are killed, and the whole situation becomes a train wreck, which might also be several train wrecks, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions that have already happened or will happen in the near future. Revelation chapter 14 says that humanity refused to accept the prophecy of eternal truth 
Christ's return as Gabriel becomes a CE6 event, with only the souls of the righteous and elect being taken away in the rapture, which is immediately followed by global thermonuclear war and the apocalyptic end of all life on earth. God commands the reaping angels to wipe out mankind in Revelation chapter 14, and that prophecy further describes the gory details of mankind's complete destruction. The apocalyptic end of mankind is the cure for a species that failed to evolve as peaceful, but God's plan includes salvation for the righteous souls of humanity. The innocent and the true believers in Eloi do not deserve to suffer the horrors of radiation sickness caused by the global contamination of radioactive fallout from the use of nuclear weapons in a final war perpetrated by evil men who have no faith in God. Heaven and earth does not unite in peace under one God with humanity becoming a highly evolved, nonviolent species, and the return of Jesus Christ as Gabriel will cause the holy war of the apocalypse, which will wipe out all of humanity because mankind is a failure for being violent, hateful, and sexually immoral. The list of ignorantly evil and hostile behaviors goes on at great length. At the present time, it is quite obvious that mankind is doomed. Humanity has not evolved, nor will it ever evolve, to live peacefully without killing each other or visitors from elsewhere in the universe. Despite God's effort to communicate with humanity through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, whose purpose was an intervention to inform mankind of the one true God and his gift of everlasting life, humanity continues to be murderous by killing each other or any visiting alien species. The only way that heaven and earth will unite in this scenario, which has become the current path for mankind, is for the rapture to take the righteous into the heavens prior to the apocalypse. Either way, the final stage of human evolution has the event of unifying heaven and earth on a spiritual level. The final evolutionary event for mankind could have occurred peacefully, but an evil alien species has interfered with human evolution, resulting in the corruption nobody can deny exists in the world today. Enoch foretold the future. The second canto in this fourth part ends short of twelve subsegments, but there really has been no effort to ensure a specific number of subsegments for every canto. The predictions appearing in the second canto of this part are pretty shocking because most of them are about the 20th and 21st centuries. Such things as the United Nations, members of this organization, the laws associated with them appear in the poetry, which describes how these nations will align in various groups and conspire to control the world with a directive to result in world peace. The problem is that the leaders of these nations are all faithless sinners and idol worshippers. Because of their greed, hatred, bigotry, and deceitfulness, these mindless national leaders will cause World War III and complete destruction of the planet. An alternate perspective on the meaning of the ancient prediction in the New Testament book of Revelation is that this last war, which follows a plague upon mankind as punishment for all of the deaths and other wars over the last 100 years, begins with a conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The second beast, who rises to power in the world by blasphemously proclaiming his ability to perform miracles, asynchronously contributes to exacerbating national conflicts in the world by imposing economic sanctions, which will ultimately cause global economic failure amid an increase in violence and unrest around the world. All efforts to prevent an escalation to war between Iran and Israel will fail, because the second beast abandons all nuclear weapons development negotiations with Iran despite Russia and China whose government leaders have always known Iran will be the tenth nation in the world to acquire nuclear weapons because they will help them do it when allying with Iran during Russia's war with NATO. The second beast travels to other nations to trick world leaders into Washington him as the leader of the world. He makes secret quid pro quo deals with various leaders and governmental factions in order to secure their loyalty and praise for him. He makes promises he cannot keep, nor does he ever intend to keep them. Unfortunately for the rest of humanity, 
This second beast is completely unaware of the evil that he does in the world, and he will ultimately lose everything, including his own soul. The result of this American idol-worshipping and dealing with the devil himself enables Russia and China to further assist Iran to develop nuclear weapons, which makes that nation the tenth nation in the world to have nuclear weapons and the seventh nation in the world to have ballistic missile delivery capability. Ten and seven are symbolically significant in Enoch's prophecies, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The significance of these two numbers in biblical texts is undeniable, and there is a significant fact about these numbers that correlates to why these two numbers are important prophetic warnings. The tenth day of the seventh month is also known as the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. At the time the author writes this text, there are only nine nations with nuclear weapons, and only six nations can deliver nuclear weapons with ballistic missiles. The seven heads and ten horns description appearing in Revelations chapter 13 supports this prediction that Iran will be the tenth nation to have nuclear weapons, and it will be the seventh nation to have ballistic missile delivery capability. Iran already has ballistic missile delivery capability of conventional weapon systems, so retrofitting their already existing delivery platforms with nuclear weapons will be as easy as changing a flat tire. It has also become known that Iran has enough nuclear weapons-grade materials to build its first nuclear weapon. Iran can build a nuclear weapon in as little time as two weeks, and it may take even less time than anyone can predict, because there are many secret actions occurring among those nations who will rise up to oppose the beast in this final war. Several indications of this fact are undeniable when considering how these non-NATO nations are aligning with each other in opposition of the beast who conspires to lead NATO into World War III and global nuclear destruction of the planet. Enoch returns to Earth on several occasions. The last part of this second canto was really difficult to separate from the content of the dream visions because it had components of both prophecy and sermon. The last part in this version of the Enoch story is Enoch's admonishment for his family. Enoch was only on the earth for one year before being taken away again, but he returned later when called upon by Methuselah and Noah. In summation, Enoch returns to the earth a total of three times in the story. He returns to educate Methuselah, he returns when Noah is born because Methuselah calls to him, and he returns when Noah calls to him before the great flood. These occurrences could have been as either physical or spiritual manifestations, and they appropriately fit in the category of CE5 events because Enoch had become an earth-originating and space-faring spiritual being. He was no longer merely human. He had evolved to live extra-terrestrially. Because the information within Enoch's testimony clearly tells that he was capable of returning to the earth in a reasonably acceptable human form, it is also quite possible that he has returned to the earth on other occasions throughout history, according to how God has allowed by the instrumentality of the Watchers. It is also possible that Jesus Christ has returned to the earth on occasions other than his resurrection, immediately following crucifixion. While there are many pagan Christians who proclaim they await the second coming of Christ as the Son of God, who will descend from the heavens magically in rays of light, the truth is that he will come without their ever knowing he has been here. Those pagan blasphemers who will call themselves Christians will be left behind for their polytheistic blasphemy of Almighty God. The most truthful statement about it all is that we await Judgment Day which will be the day Christ returns to bring heaven and earth together for the glory of God. The rapture will be the moment when God retrieves all of the righteous souls of mankind before enabling the destruction of earth and punishment of the wicked, the intervention of Jesus Christ. There really is no limit to the number of times that a human transfigured with everlasting life can return to the earth. The premise for this argument appears within the antediluvian revelations, 
explanation of the events regarding Enoch's return to earth on multiple occasions. Because Enoch could return to the earth several times after being transfigured to have eternal life, Jesus Christ has also been capable of returning to the earth on the North American continent in order to meet with Joseph Smith to set him on the path to create the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The return of Jesus Christ to the North American continent was predicted within the Enoch's prophecy as symbolized by the reference to a tree in the valley between the two mountain ranges. The United States of America is also the nation where people from all over the world have migrated and they will suffer the wrath of God for their iniquity in the apocalypse. Jesus would have come to know this for certain after his ascension and he also came to know that there was the necessity of the Latter-day Saints in North America. The righteous among them will become the example Christ will use to judge all of mankind. It is not the doctrine of the LDS Church nor the Book of Mormon that becomes the eternal truth, but it is the true believers among the righteous who will accept the eternal truth because of their faith in the Holy Spirit. There will not be any Roman Catholics among them. None. The LDS Church has rejected the Roman Catholic doctrine of a Holy Trinity, and they have studied the Book of Enoch more than any other Christian denomination. If other Christians studied the Book of Enoch, they would also reject the doctrine of Holy Trinity, because Enoch's ancient testimony is the proof that God is only one entity and does not impregnate human females with babies that will become his offspring. The prophets of the LDS Church have an understanding of how this text describes and explains the four angel paths, and God hears their prayers. Still, they have a need to accept correction, because they also have a history of paganism in their doctrine and theological texts, which have been accursed by the inclusion of Melchizedek. Everyone makes mistakes, but it takes wisdom to prevail with the knowledge of truth and humility for understanding. God's third attempt to intervene in the evolution of mankind occurred when Jesus first walked the earth as Raphael and Michael when he healed the sick, cast out demons, prophesied future events, and taught the eternal truth. He left the earth ascending into heaven after performing the task of Phanuel by delivering the message of repentance and the hope for everlasting life, while suffering even unto death because he knew he had been transfigured to have everlasting life, the same as Enoch and Elijah. Jesus also knew that he was not a pagan human sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, but he forgave those who murdered him because he truly was the Messiah. Jesus will perform the task of Gabriel by bringing heaven and earth together and revealing the truth of all things, which will complete Christ's existence as a man who followed the paths of all four archangels. The Four Archangel Paths The four angel paths are the four characteristic powers of God's archangels. Mastering all four paths is the required progression of a spiritual evolution for the Godhead, God's chosen representative of an evolved species. This is the meaning of the path of angels as it appears in Enoch's prophecy. Although the Elohim may have such technological capabilities not clearly known or understood by mankind, the angel paths, as they relate to the archangels, are not dimensional portals for interstellar transportation. A single chosen representative from a species must master the four archangel powers in order to achieve an evolutionary progression and take the seat of royalty in a new heaven over a new earth. Uniting heaven and earth is the only archangel characteristic remaining for Jesus Christ to master. The prophesied rapture event will be that moment when all the righteous souls of mankind will be liberated from the flesh to become eternally spiritual and return to be with God Almighty for having believed in the eternal truth of Jesus Christ, that he was the one true Messiah, and in his message of repentance for the hope of everlasting life. All who continue to believe the Catholic lie, based on pagan idolatry and human sacrifice, will suffer in their fleshly bodies during the apocalyptic end for mankind. The remainder of this poetry is likely to inspire a lot of emotion for readers who have begun to understand the meaning and purpose of the story. 
There is also likely to be a lot of emotion inspired for those who consider all of this a blasphemy of their convictions because they also understand its meaning. The truth of this statement is in the word convictions. It will be the Holy Spirit who will cause them to suffer from their convictions because it is the Holy Spirit who is the judge of all souls. God's true form is the Holy Spirit and all the righteous will come to know him and the eternal truth in his spirit. The unrighteous, blasphemous, and condemned will reject the eternal truth because their destinies will be to suffer eternal torment in the chasm of fire. Those who reject the eternal truth will have too much pride in the works of their hands to admit error, and they will be unwilling to have humility when the prophecy within this book reproves them for their ignorance. This concludes this episode of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch the prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.